You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Just for the record, I've been away, not gone from journalism. I still walk and talk it daily. That's what led me here. Before we get a little before we get started, I've got a little housekeeping to do. Thanks to the Detroit West Side Kid, aka Reggie Dokes, for coming up with this dope beat. My guy does his thing in Atlanta. Another special shout-out goes to OVP Consulting Management, Consulting out of Chicago, for their support. That's called Optimal Value Proposition. For this show, we're going to do something a little bit different. It'll be called the Chop Shop. It's what we used to do in City Hall all the time. Someone used to call me, and we used to just talk about the relevant issues of the day. And we're going to deal with several topics, and our guest today is none other than Brandon Jessup. Welcome, Brandon, and let's get down to it. How you doing, sir? Man, it's, it's good to be in here with you, Darren, man. It's, it's been too long, but um, you know what I'm saying, to get another chop up in, man, and we definitely overdue. So I'm excited, man, glad to join you on this new venture, man, and, and peace and blessings to you and your family, brother. Um, let's go get it, man. Let's All go right. get it. That sounds good. That sounds good. So, so B, we're going to start with the business first. You know what I'm saying? Um, because we got to get that out of the way before we get to the news. Because mm-hmm. it's been a lot of news this week. So, <laughs> so, so let's, let's get the formalities out the way. Yeah. So tell me about your role with Prop 2 and Prop 3 mm-hmm. and how that turned out. Yeah. And uh, what are some of the things you're, you're working on upcoming? Yeah. Um, you know, Darren, like when, when – like we was really in the thick of things, man. It's like the emergency management piece. You know what I'm saying? The Detroit bankruptcy, all of that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I never stopped. Um, you know, I had a kid. You know what I'm saying? Got married, got another kid. You know what I'm saying? So my wife, my son, and my daughter, man, love them much. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then Prop 2 and 3. So Prop 2 last year, 2018, and Prop 3 2018. Um, I honestly had been in the 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 cooking lab all the way back since 16 on those issues. I'm sorry, 17 on those issues. So um, it was interesting that to be the deputy of the Prop 3 campaign, right, and be in a position where I could just kind of, like, provide the technical assistance to the gerrymandering piece in Prop 2. Um, and last week, just maybe, I don't think it's a capstone to it, but last week I was in Congress, man, talking about what we just did here in Michigan to be able to turn on an additional 600,000 people. You know, not because of no candidate. We talked about democracy, right? And the issues that we had put forth before people, like, this is our chance to make our system better. And to see the turnout, like, I didn't anticipate an extra 600000 <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, if it was dollars, man, listen, I, you wouldn't be able to catch me on the show. I would still be out spending money, right? <laughs> but um, but it's a blessing. So last week um, in Congress, I was able to, to provide witness testimony. Uh, um, H.R. 1, For the People Act, which takes everything that we just did here in Michigan and puts it on a national level. Um, so... You know, that's what I've been doing, brother. Like, ain't nothing changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I um, spent some time with the city doing labor analysis, and then I took that and brought it back to doing this piece in 2018. So now it's like, so, you know, we got a governor's talking about building jobs, and we got the situation up there in Flint. Yeah, that's them job creators to me. You know, sure. so the, the fact is that are are there going to be brown people and black people learning to trade to 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 maintain that infrastructure for the next thirty years? You know, the stuff that we that when we was in the basement of Coleman and Young, right? Coleman and Young thought like that, so that's how I like to think. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So let's get to the news. I mean, the news of the day. Mm-hmm. Jesse Smollett. <sighs> he got charged today with a crime. But we're not going to deal with the incident itself. Okay. I want to deal with it from the aftermath of what it really means for him Mm. as a black person um, who is a part of the LBGQT um, community. what does that mean? What does it mean for the Chicago Police Department um, that has taken a lot of hits um, from Laquan McDonald, from its dealing with the killings of black children and black adults all out all throughout the city of Chicago? You've got everybody from the president on down talking about the gun violence that goes on in Chicago. Mm. And now you had a star who was um, victimized or alleged that he was victimized that turned out not to be well, Mm. um, that did not turn out that he was telling the truth. Mm. Um, And in addition to that, you're talking about a, a city where there were a lot of people in his community that had been victimized and, mm-hmm. and, and it's on mm-hmm. the rise mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of people in Chicago who believed um, and were outraged by what was going on. And so what are your thoughts on that? Man. So let me start with the police first. Okay. So, and you and I both know, like when hate crimes are announced, right? That's automatically a federal crime. So when I heard what happened and I saw that over three days, like the FBI didn't make a phone call, I knew there was something right. right. Um, and, and, you know, coming from, you know, that background in AACP and all of that, like I know, like even if it's the smallest instance of racial non-integrity or whatever, whatnot, the FBI normally jump in pretty quick. <clears throat> and then community like Chicago, when you got, you know, that scope, you know what I'm saying? It, you You don't need nothing. Um, sliding slide under the radar. So I think that the city of Chicago Police Department, they did their due diligence here. I think that when you talk about gun violence at the hands of the police, man, like it is not, I'm a gun owner myself. You know what I'm saying? So like, and I got plenty of guns, like they register, whatever. Um, but I also know that if I draw my weapon at any instance, the cop could shoot me and the law is going to be on his side. So, like with Laquan, with Laquan McDonald, um, or like even a brother that got run over by the ATF, ATV over here in the city. Um, when you are already in a position to be accused, 
then you're going to be found guilty one way or another. The person who who has the job to accuse you can't be guilty. And that's a problem in our system. So for Mrs. Smollett, man, like, listen, like a lot of people try to figure out how they can how they can game the system. And racial inequity right now is not something you can game. He in the concert a couple of weeks ago talking about he the black Tupac. You don't become, you don't make yourself a martyr. You cannot identify yourself as a martyr to after you did. You dig what I'm saying? Like, right, so, right. so, you, you know, that's a, that's a complex that I think a lot of black people have when they try to be in the struggle and you want to equate to somebody who honestly didn't even want to be in the struggle like that. They was just doing their life. And I deal with that myself. Like a lot of people, when you talk about being an, an advocate and doing politics and stuff like that, a lot of people be like, well, what is it? What is that? <laughs> what is that? You can't put a name on it. You can't put a name on it. It's in like, and when you got a guy like me with skills just to analyze and, you know, my parents raised me how to be an advocate, how to look at policy and say, no, nah, that's your that's your area right there. Go get that piece right there. So, you know, that's why you got so many lawyers. So the fact is that with a guy like Jesse, <clears throat> I think Hollywood got a whole lot to play in it. You know what I'm saying? That we ain't even talking about like his relevancy. You know, is he dealing with that? Right. Um after Empire, what does it look like? You know, not saying that you staged an event. Well, I mean, <laughs> one of the things that they said was that this was about his his money. Yeah, that that they wanted to, he wanted more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how much did that play into it? I don't as you, well. You, you know, I mean, like, right? Because, how, like you said, his his relevancy is tied right now to Empire, mm-hmm. and what do you do? I mean, was he scared of being a one-hit wonder? I I don't know. I know that the way that that show was set up, right? Like, y'all dropping albums, too. Like, that was a musical. Honestly, Empire was a musical. So the way that Lee Daniels set it up, and that makes a whole other conversation that had me wondering, like, so why are you talking to your manager throughout all of this, two in the morning? That's that's business conversation. And I know what that's like, right? Like, hey, bro, we need to get this together. Before Monday, otherwise we gotta have other conversations. That's what you have as a contractor, <laughs> and that's what he is. Right. Um, so, like, yeah, like, like the real talk is, like, brother, you could have had a hundred different ways to to make your way. And I think a lot of people don't know how to deal with the unknowing of the future. And if you don't really know who you are and where you're going, anything could be scary. So he reacted in a very juvenile fashion. And used his money to try to influence something that wasn't correct. Okay. Let's kind of, because we got a lot. Oh, you know we do. You know we do. So, switching gears. Um, First of all, I got to give a shout out to Chastity Pratt-Dossie for this What up, what up? Because she's at Bridge Bridge Magazine, Mm -hmm. and she brought up the issue of Black History Month and... It, first of all, it was a conversation in my home earlier this week because mm. my kids weren't dealing with anything with Black History Month. Mm. But at her child's school, they put in Boys in the Hood, Inside the Crips and the Bloods, Do the Right Thing, and a reading of the new Jim Crow. Like, how is that Black History Month? And how is that, like, relevant like I get 
like Ricky is not coming back. <laughs> I don't care how many times you watch <laughs> Boys in the Hood. Like, and every time I watch Boys in the Hood, I want Ricky to stay alive. You know it, don't you? You you know what I mean? But Ricky ain't coming back. And 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 the metaphor of him dying and, and his death and the promise of the hood, right? That was a metaphor. Right. You know? And so how is that black history? It's black cinema. So is John so John Singleton, right? So okay, so let's look at the aspect of the teacher. And I'm not I'm not defending anything, but just look at the aspect of the teacher. If that teacher's my age and like I know I'm blessed. My mom gave me the Black History of America books from Ebony Magazine. The boys is like six, seven volumes, right? Like, and so we would sit down. That's how I started to learn how to read. You know what I'm saying? Like, looking at those numbers and those pictures. And and my dad um, is 73. You know what I'm saying? He was a sharecropper. So, like, my concept of black history is different. I'm blessed to have that. But if your teacher just come out of Teach for America or, or if they're in their 40s, Boys in the Hood is a relevant cultural film because it wakes you up about stuff, right? I think the sad part is that 25 years later, it's the same reality. I mean, yes, it's that, but black history can't That's be... That's not history. Right, but, but from my view, black history can't be black folks in chains mm-hmm. and boys in the hood. And it can't be. And it, it's, it's especially be, a day like today, right? With, with, with Malcolm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about today, for, for those who don't know, today is February 19th, the day that Malcolm X was killed at the Audubon Ballroom. And so, like, those are the kinds of things that should be taught as a part of black history. Mm-hmm. His legacy, mm-hmm. his worth, mm-hmm. what it meant, what mm-hmm. Dr. King's legacy was, what it's worth, and others W.E. Du Bois, W.B. Du Bois, mm-hmm. others, people like Coleman Young and what That's he right. meant um, to uh, black mayors mm-hmm. across the country. Mm-hmm. And there's a plethora of things that you could find other than the Bloods and the Crips. Mm-hmm. And, you know. But listen to what you just said. It's a plethora of things that you can find. They didn't use the Google box, right? They jumped to YouTube. So, so it's a lot of things that I hear in that, that, that talk about the, what we think is the level of our kids to have an attention span, their attention span and their length. Like, do you think that, that young black kids don't want to have an attention span to see themselves in positive lights that they can't sit for an hour and just learn about two or three black figures that (laughs) shoot. I mean, let's think about it, man. The patent office right here is named after black man. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And it's a patent office here in in Detroit. It ain't in Washington. It's in Detroit. And Barack Obama brought that here because there's innovation that we and you both have. You know what I'm saying? This is in a, in our DNA. And the beautiful thing about that is like, well, <clears throat> and Malcolm dealt with this. Teachers who teach down to you, right? They don't encourage you to think. They don't encourage you to be innovative. So like, yes, like, so when I was in debate in high school, there were white teachers that was like, damn, he good. You should probably think about going to law school. But it took me to be in 11th grade for you to ask me to start thinking about law school. I was planning on being an engineer for the first 10 years of my educational career. Sure. Because your parents teach you how to function because 
the 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 promise of American high high lifestyle don't come to black boys. It doesn't until you start selling out like Steve Harvey. That's another conversation for another podcast. But so you feel what I'm saying? Like so, but real talk, do you put in kings of comedy in that? Because I want to talk about Richard Pryor on Saturday Night Live using the N word. <laughs> and and breaking so like yeah so where is the room for us to talk about contemporary black history where we continuously push boundaries in a real you know since like in the last 20 years since like I wouldn't mind hearing about Luke Skywalker and Two Live Crew yeah. you know and not, not saying I don't, I don't want to see boys in the hood but talk about that Supreme Court case about free speech I could I could deal with that, you know, and and I think it's an educator's job to sort of use modern techniques and make it relevant to to children in their lives yeah. now. And I and so I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't use modern tools in the classroom. Um, I just don't know how much history you learn out of unless you are teaching, you know, the history of black filmmakers mm. um as it relates to boys in the hood and what it what it meant or it, what it means to bring the the life of of black america into real a realistic portion of black america into uh, the homes of America that were outside of the Cosby show right. at the time. If it's taught in that vein, I can, I could, I can live with that. Uh-huh. But just kind of showing boys in the hood. Yeah. It's just dry. It's just giving it to you. That's, that's not, that seems a little odd to me. No, you're, and, you're right. And, and I'm using, I'm using boys in the hood as an example. And I don't, I don't want to pick on this teacher by any means because I, I think, the teacher probably had the right intention in mind. I think the teacher may have just gone about it in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, context is always key, right? Context, <laughs> context, is, context is everything, as you know. Yeah. I mean, as I know from from what I did in in my context is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so let's move let's move to our our, our little next topic yeah. of the day. Um, recreational marijuana. Mm. Um, I want to talk about a little bit about what this means for us and give me your thoughts because yesterday there was a Michigan Supreme Court ruling that affirmed that workplace rules can stay in place, Mm -hmm. meaning if you get caught with a dirty drop, you can get fired. And so give me your thoughts on recreational marijuana and particularly how this whole thing is new. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I want your thoughts on that and let's go. Yeah, no, um, I'm going I'm to jump on that from the labor perspective, the labor market perspective first. Employers are following federal regulation. Marijuana still is, schedule, is a Schedule A drug. It's a narcotic, period. So they have the right to do what they need to do to screen and everything like that. <clears throat> I think that um, it's a conversation amongst those HR offices because they know how many folks smoke. They know how many folks don't, you know? Um, it's over 300,000 folks with with, with um, medicinal marijuana cards. 
And you still, in this state, you still can't purchase cannabis without having a, a, a card. Like the dispensaries are not open to, to, um, to free recreational purchase. So the way that the law says is that you can have it on your person without having a car and you can have up to 10 ounces. I think that's the part that people got all messed up. Um, and as a, as a caregiver myself, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm just going to be very honest. Like, I have to follow very clear regulation. You know what I'm saying? Very clear regulation as, because what I'm doing is I'm handling medicine. So, and, you know, we can talk about how I got into that long time, you know, in another podcast. But the fact is that for, for African Americans, the game is not in the enjoyment of the vice. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think too much of the conversation gets into like vices. And if you notice, like the churches have been quite quiet after it passed. It's the will of the voters. So, so now you got to have a real conversation with us as a community about like, how do we engage? Uh, states don't create laws. They create laws for two reasons, for civility and for economic gain. <laughs> so recreational marijuana was for economic gain. It was not for civility. You don't see people rioting for weed. Don't happen. Um, and so the, the fact of the matter is, is I think that in cities like Pontiac, um, that had a, that had an initiative, um, last, uh, August about how many dispensaries they would allow. You need to look at who's pushing for the dispensaries, who's using this tool to move their economic agenda. So when we looked at the three proposals that they had in Pontiac, one was to say no dispensaries, another one was for four dispensaries, one for each uh, district that they had, and then another one was for 20. Now, how you go from four to 20? Oh, well, the people who pushed the one for 20 had already identified 20 locations. So they were pushing for policy for the people of the city of Pontiac to okay for them to put 20 dispensaries in. You know? Sure. And so it's like, so, and most people say, yeah, I want to have access. Because access in America means freedom. It does equate to freedom. So um, it's now, is as a, as, a, as a community of black people, you got to walk both those lines of policy. You have to talk about the economic piece. Are you going to engage? And you have plenty of groups like who are engaging in themselves. A shout out to Marco Bruner, um, who actually helped to push Prop 1 to be, to be legal. Um, black woman, one of the few black women in the game. And also, too, even uh, Reverend Anthony's wife. She advocated against it because, and I understood why. Where's the exoneration in the folks who, who spent 20, the last 25, 30 years? My brother got two F's off weed. Right. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? So, um, <clears throat> so like, and, and, and the real talk is because of them F's, he can't make more than $20 an hour. Right. That's a shame. Right. <laughs> so I think, so our advocacy has to come for that point. And yes, the call is to Dana Nessel. Where you at on this? You know, um, there's no more more to legislate. Don't be like Connecticut in 1908 when they were, when they were, when some white woman um, said that a black man had raped her and he was enraged by the cocaine that he was sniffing off the dock. Well, but the dock owners were giving cocaine to the, to the ship unloaders because it made them work faster. So, you know, right? We got to think about all those things. So it's it's a fine line, but like when it come down to to cannabis and and all of that, you got to be careful about. I but, think the the biggest danger is, is the edibles. Okay. The the how you distribute, where it goes, these liquor stores, man, they got K nine in them. So what's the difference between you know cannabis gummies and K nine? Ain't no difference, right? So, what does this mean for Detroit? I mean, because. Yeah. There's legislation where, as you said, yeah. communities can opt out 
of having dispensaries around mm-hmm. and and just as on a cursory kind of look um you see Detroit you see Ferndale mm-hmm. and then the rest of the, the Woodward corridor up up until you get to Pontiac there they have opted out mm-hmm. and so have we set ourselves up for another situation like strip clubs mm. strip clubs are all over Wayne County but they're not in they're not in Oakland County yeah, 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 yeah. and so how do we what does this what does this all mean because because the reality is is that there were a bunch of folks black white indifferent who young old indifferent who passed a law for recreational marijuana mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't want to buy it in Birmingham right that is a problem I, I'm with you um and it's and it's it's two problems I don't, I don't want to split it but I'm a, I, I see where you are I think that yeah, you're going to have that problem with, with empty dispensaries and live dispensaries all up and down 8 Mile because the city doesn't really have rules about zoning. You know what I'm saying? We don't have rules like in D.C. where it's like, hey, look, this neighborhood looks like this. We have this kind of facade on our stores. This is what you have to do. I think it's in some communities like Berkeley, you know what I'm saying? Like when they've designed a Wilbur Corridor, they made it that way to make it not necessarily um, appealing to folks who don't want to fit into their community. and to a degree, that's okay. I think that when, like, yeah, North Rosedale can do the same thing. They can say, we don't want that around here, and they do. On the North End, the North End is different because it's zoned where you have, you got you got uh, salvage yards, you know, a mile away from 8 Mile, right? You got schools over here. You got a lot on the it's North got End. got industrial. And you got industrial. You got a big mix of residential, industrial, and everything else. And so, like, the smoke is not a job creator. It's an economic engine, right? It creates a lot of, it encourages money to circulate. The challenge for governments is how to make that underground money come up. You got a city with 40% of the city, the, the folks who are eligible to work, not paying any taxes. They're not on anybody's rolls, but grandmama lights stay on. <laughs> the rent still paid. So I think people in Lansing realized, tongue in cheek, What's going on? You got to bring activity up. Now, um, <clears throat> what does what do Detroiters do to protect their communities and how they look? That's where you get on your city council's butt and not don't make it personal about you, 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 you. Put something on paper for them to actually digest. If you want to have a community that says, listen, if, you know, after six months, regardless of what your story is, you have to take your sign down. If you're not in business, you have six months to take your sign down or three months to take your sign down or 30 days to take your sign down or we're going to start finding you. You know what I'm saying? I, those are very easy remedies that we just don't do because we think we don't have the power to do it. Have some of these folks who are coming and building your community, make them accountable on the front end and don't react to it. I, and, and I would like to see that happen. And I'm encouraging a lot of folks and I with the charter being open. Do it now because you're complaining about someone else opening up for their game. Stop watching them work. You go to work too. That's it. So what's next? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's here. Yeah. Um. I mean, you already got folks who are who are dirty. <laughs> um, you, you already got folks who are riding dirty. Yeah. Um. And so, where do we go from here? It's a big about 
part about education. Like you said about riding dirty, that's where you catch your Fs and your felonies. I'm going to be quite honest. So, you know, and it's like, if you know you're riding out here with a boat license, don't smoke. Honestly, and that's a real conversation we need to have with our community. 380,000 households last year were impacted by the emergency manager law. 180,000 were in Wayne County. Oh, so when you think about the reason why someone might just pull you over, and this happens to my friends all the time. Oh, man, my tags are expired, quote unquote. They pulled me over. Now they got your car on the tow. They're going to go through your car. Any trace of cannabis is going to make that now a whole nother conversation. So you got to be smart. You know, um, them young boy mistakes don't work anymore. I think, and that's that's a community effort. It's folks like um, the TULC, um, the Trade Union Leadership Council. They're out doing community pieces right now like, okay, this is how you don't get locked up. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, okay. and you need more of that. I think that's that's the the first thing. The second thing is, like we talk about, like, distribution is where it's at. The smoke that's in this state, it don't come from your your mama's basement. It's come from up north, and it's a lot of folks who work six months, and they grow for six months. And the way that the new law has been set up is there are five different classifications and certifications that you can get. One of those is in distribution. So we got a lot of brothers with CDLs. Okay, so what are the regulations to transport cannabis throughout the state of Michigan? Because clearly there is demand for it. So to get rid of that stigma about, ooh, it's you, ooh, it's you, ooh, it's you. I got, it's it's folks who who... <clears throat> who have various blood cancers, who could use, you know, the CBD oils. It's like my dad had arthritis, you know what I'm saying, before he passed. That CBD oil would loosen up his joints. And this was in 2003, 2000, 2000 I'm sorry. Okay. So, you know, let's have a real conversation about the stuff that says it's taking on um, the reefer madness from 1950. Okay. Well, sh- share me that story. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because people don't know. Mm-hmm. So so share a little bit about that story and then we can move on to the to the next issue. Um yeah, my my dad and and my mom too. Yes. Yeah, like so so my mom as a registered nurse is heavy about alternative medicine. Um and so she fought um um breast cancer from 1999 till 2017. Um so pretty much 18 years. Um 98, I'm sorry. And so after her third remission you know, the chemo, it's just, this is burning her body up. And she couldn't hold anything down. So she was like, you know, she asked her doctor to prescribe her a cannabinoid. Um, this is after 2018, and he could do that. And she laughed and joked about it because she was like, the pill ain't nothing compared to what I was dealing with in, in Louisiana in, in, you know, 78, 79, 80, you know? Um, and so my dad <clears throat> in in Indiana, he was on medical leave from Ford. He had retired from Ford on medical leave. He couldn't, he couldn't handle the, the paint gun anymore. Um, and the arthritis in his knuckles would lock his knuckles up. <clears throat> so just through, through his friends, he smoked to, to loosen himself up. That's just what he did. He couldn't get it, you know, legally, especially in Indiana. But my dad had smoked, shoot, as long as I can remember. Okay. okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, and he understood things about, about bakeries and all that other kind of stuff. And he had learned that from hustlers up here in Detroit. He was a he was a sharecropper from Kentucky. Didn't know none of the game. He learned a lot when he came up here. Okay. Okay. Last issue. Mm-hmm. Yesterday came up the name and rights of Kobo. Um, some suggested that this was to get rid of the Kobo legacy, mm-hmm. uh, who 
as you know, tore up Black Bottom, um, was definitely not favorable toward Black folk. Mm-hmm. Um, while others suggest this was just a, a money piece, they got three hundred million. Yeah. Um, you know, in order to get the naming rights, and it had nothing to do with getting rid of Kobo. What what right. what do you think about that? And where is this thing going? Um, I think you got an aggressive bank in a community that hasn't really had a financial power flex in its muscle. That's the first thing I thought. Comerica Park has been around since 97. Ford Field. And then, wait, matter of fact, Comerica Park got the park built off of our money, then left and relocated to Dallas. Right. Right? Um, so so look at it like that. And so Comerica, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Chemical Bank <clears throat> got a lot of cash on hand, and they're flexing their muscles. Now, so do I think they're renaming Kobo? I think Kobo was just an easy target. I really do. It was, it was something that was available. The regional authority um, is probably, I think, they're coming up for a millage in a couple years. Yes. So, th- you know, it's more money in the bank. Um, and so the whole racial piece just makes it palatable to a lot of people who don't understand, like, how you rename a convention center. Um, you know, it just came out of Washington. Like, their convention center is the D.C. convention center. You name it after people. On the history of Kobo, um, Phil Cavanaugh brought the money in to finish Black Bottom off. So this was something that had been done over a few administrations in, the lo- in, in our local administration. That the pavement of 375 was quote unquote so called like the new New Deal. Okay. So if this is about, so we're taking away or we're kind of taking away Kobo's legacy, but shoot, like the guy, Mac, Mr. McComb, he owned Bell Isle. Like he, he got Macomb County out of trading Bell Isle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like big land swaps. Rick Ross got a whole piece about, man, it was funny. He was talking about, um, um, paying for 60 kilos and all the cash well shoot I, I like to buy acres in all cash and that's and I think that's that's kind of the game that we see when we hear these big mergers and we hear names from generations ago is that you're looking at old white money still working and it's and 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 that's one of the great things of our com- of our country is that money can live for generations but when you add that context of racial racial discrimination white white supremacy is there still dirty money it was dirty money anyway. Okay. Rename the convention center, cool, whatever. The real talk is, is how does that turn into District 7 and District 6, you know, building? <clears throat> Forge is with the train station. I mean, is Ford going to have naming rights to the Detroit train station? You know? I don't see it no different than what they did with Kobo. I think it's the same move. It's the fact is that, like, are you in the middle of the conversation? Is any of your dollars working? No. First Independence hasn't bought Kobo. Right. Would you Would you rather have seen First Independence make that move? You know, in real talk, like, right. is, it, is it more palatable if they do it as opposed to Chemical Bank? Okay. And, and what do you think about, because there's been a movement, in recent years to change mm. a number of buildings. Yeah. Um, you can talk about CAS, you can talk about Base Academy, you can talk about no, let's talk the, about base. The, the Ben 
Carson Academy. Let's talk about Bates. You can talk about a number of different uh, entities that could be changed. Mm -hmm. And why is this such a hot issue, particularly given that we're dealing with Ben Carson now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this is a hot issue because money moved and it made an issue. It costs money to change the name of a school or at least a petition. So do you and Detroit want to start talking about who Alonzo Bates or Lonnie Bates really was? About the, do you want to go and unearth in that City Hall scandal, putting off those scabs? Some people do. And then you also realize that a lot of people are sending their kids to that school, maybe as just a, as, as alumni or whatnot, didn't even know who Lonnie Bates was then. You know? So... There is a lot of ugly truths that we got to tell about a lot of people. Lewis Cass was a war hero, period. Um, are you? We don't we don't send boys to the military in this city. <laughs> they don't have a recruitment office in this city. <laughs> so, uh, you know, real real conversation. So, and with Doctor Ben Carson, I think like we gave the brother to school because you kind of figured that he was on he was on his sunset. Who would have figured that? He would start this conservative bend. No one saw that. Do you take it back? Right. I I, I don't think you should allow politics to get in the way of his accomplishments mm. um, as a doctor. And I, I get as a neurosurgeon. Right. Like, I, and I get but the, it. But the school ain't focused on medicine. <laughs> it should be. It should be. You know, it should be. Um, and that's a. Another that's conversation. That's a whole different, that's a different conversation, right? But now that the school is named after him, and it was named after him because of his accomplishments um, in the medicine field, not because he was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, I'm conflicted by that primarily because it's being changed now or there is a movement it's for a it movement being for it, yeah. changed primarily because of his political links, affiliation. Because of, his, because of his political affiliation and not only his political affiliation, but his po political affiliation with the current president. True. And I mean, look at what he's doing. Like, if you think about HUD and how important HUD has been for the city trade. Now, see, at the very interesting piece, though. So HUD built the Brewsters, right? right. Absolutely. So, so, and part of HUD was building 375, housing and urban development. So how do, how do we grapple with all of that? Because to be quite honest, some folks would say HUD destroyed more communities than than it built up. Um, and and now if he's director, if you think about maybe so it's it's weird because like the context of destroying stuff, X, Y, and Z, he could take that in the pain and say, Well, I'm doing better because I'm helping you to do it yourself. And and he comes from a level of poverty that a lot of people don't even understand nowadays. So and I'm not trying to get a brother any pass. But I understand how dangerous it is to be political in a situation like this. And, and that's all I'm getting at yeah. is, is that, you know, are you playing politics or are they you are. doing the right thing? I think and, folks and, play politics. Okay. 
I think folks playing politics. They, they, you want to name stuff after folks who you like, but you, right? You say like, with anybody talking about Lonnie? If I name, if I start a petition to to, to rename Cass Tech to Kwame Kilpatrick High School, I'll be on news for the next four weeks. Now I should do that, right? <laughs> More than that, you understand? If, if you ask me, you'll be on the news every day. You know, like what are you crazy? I, and to stick just stay fast to it, and then now it's become a conversation about someone's actions. Outside of like what it is about, it's a school. So, you know, uh, um, it'd be interesting. I think we should test that, man. Test that theory, see what and, happens. And and you 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 also brought up an interesting issue that's on a side note to yeah. this about schools that make that do the function of the person or or what they are charged to do. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I won't put any school on blast. Mm-hmm. Because that's not what I'm going to do. Um, but you you do have schools that um, are not following its mission of what it was intended to do. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you how do you deal with that as well? Mm. Um, I've taken a labor perspective, saying like, so when you're 18, what did what did you come out ready to do? And that that's what. That's why I've been so blessed to be in the position I'm in to talk like at various levels of government. I don't come with the emotion. It's about the data and what the analytic is. And so in Germany, you have folks who have a a labor experience. At least 90 percent of their young people under the age of 18 will have labor experience. That goes into trades, engineering, all that kind of stuff. So, yes, if you're at a technical school, just because the kids say they don't like math. Okay, you got to find some other way for them to be technical. We have enough equipment and, and tools now to teach, to continue to keep people in technical fields. 90% of our work now is technical. So um, I think we do ourselves a true disservice by not <clears throat> re-looking at that. Um, and it shows, like, how many guys you know and ladies you know, man, they come out of high school, 16, 17, really don't even want to go to work. Like, just don't see the purpose in it. And not about I ain't got the skills. It's like, no, for what? Okay, Brandon. Um, I know we've talked about a number of different issues here today. As always. As always. On the chop up, that's how it on, is. On the chop shop. That's that's what we're going to do on the that's chop shop. That's what we're going to do. Um, give me your final thoughts on some of the issues that we talked about today mm-hmm. and some of the things that you may have um, uh, wanted to say, but missed out on and and then then the idea came in your head while you were talking about something else i know how that works uh-huh. so give me your final thoughts um no nah, man the first final thought is brother man it feel good to see you out here doing this man like i haven't enjoyed interviewing with folks you know what i'm saying like our interviews is always good so brother it's it's heartwarming to be back in this space and it's another piece that tell me i'm doing what i should be doing so thank you sir i appreciate that um i've never we we ain't got no time to talk about everything. I just say if it's anything that I want everyone to know in our listening piece is that, like, this should be a place where we can come and get some truth. I th- you know what I'm saying? And, and I've always encouraged us to stay in an open dialogue because, for one, you know, you don't resolve everything in a day. And it's a level of patience that we should have with ourselves as a, as a community and how we move forward. Um, so if anything that folks got from this conversation is that we still moving forward, no matter what's going on, um, politically at the news of the day and 
our cohesiveness as a community is what makes us progress. Um, I said that to Congress a few days ago. I talked to, talked to them about the price. Voting is a privilege we have for the democracy that we have in our space. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what you got to pay for to have this privilege to be here because I was in Cuba, man, a, a few months ago, and everybody down there doing good, but they're not living like Americans. Right. You know, and, and just realizing, like, what kind of space I'm in and the privilege I have. Being an adopted boy of a of a dope dealer and a mama that was too young, man, let's go get it. <laughs> let's go get it. All right, B. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Well, before I get out of here today, in the spirit of Black History Month, I want to leave you all with some of the words by Malcolm X. As we mentioned earlier in the program, today, February 21st, is the day that Malcolm was gunned down at the Audubon Hotel or ballroom in 1965. And so these are some of the words that he said, and I want you to kind of ponder on this thought um, for the week. It says this, quote, I am for truth no matter who tells it. I am for justice no matter who it's for or against. I'm a human being first and foremost, and as such, I'm for whoever and whatever benefits humanity as a whole. I want you all to ponder that thought this week and keep us on your mind as you're on, as you listen to Beyond the Headlines. This is Darren Nichols signing off for today.